Welcome to Holy Smoke, the Spectator's Religion Podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. And no apologies for once again returning to the subject of the civil war that is pulling apart the world's largest and oldest institution. In fact, I have to return to this subject because week after week, quite astonishing developments are going unreported by the people who are paid to report such things. That is, the Vatican Press Corps. Failures so consistent that in one or two cases I can't help wondering if they're not being paid to keep silent. Or, if not completely silent, then at least to ask only the approved questions and to leave out any inconvenient details. Let's look at three developments since we last talked about the Catholic Church on Holy Smoke. They relate to the Vatican's relations with China, the topic of sex abuse, and the forthcoming Vatican Synod on Synodality. And what they have in common, apart from the fact that they deal with the Catholic Church, is that they're all, well, weird and creepy. First, China. Let me quote from an article by the American Catholic journalist Phil Lawler, who is, it must be said, a conservative critic of this pontificate, but I think a perceptive one. And you've got to remember that with one or two honourable exceptions, nobody who isn't a Catholic conservative seems to give a damn about the grotesque abuses of human rights in China that have actually been facilitated by Beijing's deal with the Vatican. Anyway, here's Phil Lawler writing on his Catholic cultural website on September the 21st. And I quote, The trial of Cardinal Joseph Zen has been postponed, but the indomitable 90-year-old prelate will face judgment soon enough under the draconian new security laws imposed on Hong Kong by the Chinese government. Meanwhile, Pope Francis faces his own judgment in the court of public opinion for his failure to defend Cardinal Zen, or, for that matter, to criticise the regime that's prosecuting him. When questioned about the trial by a reporter who accompanied him on his flight home from Kazakhstan, the pontiff gave this utterly unsatisfactory reply. Francis said, Cardinal Zen is going to trial these days, I think, and he says what he feels, and you can see that there are limitations there. More than qualifying, because it's difficult, and I do wish to qualify, they are impressions, and I try to support the path of dialogue. End quote. Lawler continues, Cardinal Zen is going to trial, I think, says the Pope. A prince of the church is being tried as a criminal by a regime that tramples on human rights, and the Roman pontiff can only say that he thinks he is briefed on the trial schedule. Clearly, Pope Francis wants to downplay the significance of this event, just as clearly he doesn't want to make any statement in defence of the embattled cardinal. Thus he offers his impressions as if it were a matter on which he could not make an informed judgment. And as if that weren't bad enough, Lawler also points out that earlier in the interview, Pope Francis had said the following extraordinary thing. Qualifying China as undemocratic, I do not identify with that, because it's such a complex country. Yes, it's true that there are things that seem undemocratic to us. That's true. Now, imagine if you'd heard the leader of any other foreign country saying that. You'd want to follow the money, wouldn't you? And perhaps one day some journalists will finally get round to checking whether there's been an influx of Chinese cash into the Vatican's bank accounts. If they can find the bank accounts, that is. Perhaps that's a job for the Wall Street Journal, one of the few Western mainstream publications that from time to time draws attention to the obvious corruption of this pontificate. 
And indeed, it was William McGurn of the Wall Street Journal who, in an opinion piece after the Pope's interview, noted that a Pope who always seems to have time for private audiences with celebrities such as Leonardo DiCaprio had refused to meet Cardinal Zen to talk about China. Cardinal Gerhard Muller, said McGurn, noted that no senior Vatican official had offered an expression of solidarity or a prayer initiative for Cardinal Zen at August's gathering of cardinals in Rome. And then he declined even to say that China was undemocratic. All that was missing, said McGurn, was a cock crowing in the background. So that was the latest appalling development on the subject of China. The next thing we'll hear, I suspect, is that the Vatican has yet again renewed its despicable deal with Beijing, which gives the Chinese Communist Party full permission to nominate its own despicable spies as official Catholic bishops. And now let's move on to another topic on which the pontiff often claims to be mysteriously uninformed. Sex abuse. Particularly, of course, sex abuse involving his own allies, which is something we've discussed at considerable length on this podcast before. On September the 23rd, the leading Catholic website, The Pillar, ran a story under the headline, What Bishop Boder's Decision Means for Accountability a rather drab heading for what turned out to be an extraordinary article. Extraordinary and, I think, horrifying. The author was The Pillar's editor-in-chief, J.D. Flynn, a canon lawyer who described an outrageous situation in very precise and measured terms. His starting point was a new report on abuse which touches on the negligence of Germany's Bishop Franz Joseph Bode, negligence which significantly he does not deny. Let me quote from Flynn. The report, published Tuesday, some 600 pages, dissected decades of allegations in the Diocese of Osnabrück. It found that Bode, who's been diocesan bishop since 1995, allowed a number of clerics with apparently credible allegations to remain in ministry and, in some cases, transferred them to positions, like youth ministry, which gave them opportunity for new acts of malfeasance. Flynn continued, Bishops have been removed from ministry or stepped down for less in recent years, but most remarkable about Boda's story is not his negligence, but the bishop's reaction when the report became public. Boda, who is vice president of the German Bishops' Conference, gave a press conference Thursday during which he announced that he had decided not to offer his resignation to Pope Francis. The bishop actually acknowledged his failings and offered apologies, but he said he believed that staying in his office would best allow his diocese to continue addressing the sexual abuse crisis. As it happens, the report found that Boda has been insufficiently attentive to victims and their needs in recent years, noting that despite public promises to care for them, he has flagged on the actual commitment – But Boda said that if he remained in post, a detailed plan for diocesan reform could stay on track. Quote, in my view, a resignation would delay this process rather than help it, the bishop told reporters. What? That's me, not Flynn. Let me continue with the article. The bishop said that when he considered resigning, he had consulted with Father Hans Zollner, S.J., a member of the Pope's Commission on Sexual Abuse and the director of an influential Vatican-backed study centre on abuse in Rome. So when Boda said he'd consulted Zollner about what to do, 
it seems reasonable to conclude the remark was intended to give the bishop's decision credibility. End quote. Now, as J.D. Flynn points out, we don't actually know whether Father Zollner is supporting Bishop Boda's decision. But whether he is or not, in Flynn's words, Boda's situation has revealed a few things about how the Church will handle sitting bishops who reassigned credibly accused clergy into dangerous positions. First, that it will apparently be up to them, and not to Pope Francis, to determine whether a negligent bishop should remain in office. And second, that at least some bishops believe it's possible to restore trust after a scandal by leaving things in the hands of the one who caused it. End quote. My reaction is very simple. If Bishop Boda is allowed to remain in office despite admitting very serious failures relating to sex abuse, then that's because Pope Francis is happy for him to do so. By the same token, if the bishops of Costa Rica can get away with suspending a priest from his ministry for the crime of celebrating Mass in Latin, the new Mass, by the way, not the old Mass, then that's because Pope Francis is happy for them to do so. As one very highly respected priest put it to me, under this pontificate, canon law doesn't really exist anymore. It's been replaced by a dictatorship. Let me quote from an interview published on September the 23rd, given by the German Cardinal Gerhard Müller, who's former prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. It appeared on the Catholic website Invo Vaticana and has been translated into English on the well-known traditionalist website Rorati Celi. Cardinal Müller had some quite extraordinary things to say about the consistory in August. He was asked, was there an opportunity for the cardinals to express their concerns to the Pope? And he replied, there was no opportunity to discuss the burning issues. For example, the frontal attack on the Christian image of man by the ideologies of post-humanism and gender madness, or the crisis of the Church in Europe. The Cardinal continued, On the other hand, critical contributions refer to the theory of the papacy as an unlimited power of divine right over the whole Church, as if the Pope were a deus in teris. The newly appointed Cardinal Gerlander, SJ, as the Pope's most important advisor on curial reform, holds the view that everything the Popes have said or done in the course of Church history is either dogma or law de jure divino. This view contradicts the entire Catholic tradition, and especially Vatican II. Then Cardinal Müller was asked about the German bishops, including Cardinal Marx, who want the Pope to consider changing church teaching on sexual morality, the ordination of women, and the evaluation of homosexuality. Cardinal Müller was asked, Do you think the church in Germany runs the risk of initiating a schism with Rome? And he replied, In their blind arrogance they do not think of division, but rather of taking over the universal church. Germany is too small a playing field for their exercise of governing ideology. They claim instead a leading role in the universal church, to impress the whole world with their wisdom, and to free the backward and uneducated Catholics and their bishops in the other countries, including the Pope, from the burden of revelation and the divine commandments. Their goal is the transformation of the Church of the Triune God into a worldly welfare organisation, an NGO. End quote. And the man speaking, let me remind you, was formerly Prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. 
Actually, I think the interview could have pushed him a little bit harder on one point. He'd begun by saying that the Pope's new favourites think in terms of an autocratic papacy of unlimited power that is inconsistent with Catholic tradition and also the teachings of the Second Vatican Council. But who promoted this new breed of hysterical ultramontanists? And the answer, of course, is the most authoritarian Pope in living memory, Jorge Bergoglio, Pope Francis. And why are the bishops of Germany and Belgium proposing fundamental changes to Catholic teaching? Because Francis has invited them to do so by setting up a synodal process whose worldwide consultation with the people of God turns out, on closer inspection, to involve little more than collecting the opinions of a minuscule number of ultra-liberal activists. Let's just say that, as an exercise in democracy, it seems to be heavily influenced by the Pope's admiration for the People's Republic of China. So here's a question for those liberal Catholics who genuinely want to see changes to church teaching that traditionalist Catholics would regard as completely unacceptable. Do you really want to see them forced through by a synodal process whose promises of consultation have proved to be completely meaningless, if not downright dishonest? And if the representation of the views of ordinary Catholics is so important to you, why don't you extend that to Chinese Catholics, who are given absolutely no say in the replacement of their faithful bishops by Communist Party stooges in mitres? Why, like the Pope, do you have nothing to say on the subject of Cardinal Zen? And why do you maintain the same Zen-like silence when you see bishops apparently heavily implicated in the cover-up of serious sexual crimes promoted and protected by the Vatican? But perhaps I'm being too hard on the Liberals, because the fact is that most middle-of-the-road, conservative or orthodox bishops also say nothing. Now, I'm prepared to accept that there are a few situations in which discretion is the better part of valour. For example, bishops who wish to protect their Latin mass congregations from the bullying and iconoclastic dicastrophe of divine worship led by the Yorkshire-born Cardinal Arthur Roach are probably well advised not to draw Roach's attention to the existence of those congregations. But it is a diabolical betrayal of their Christian mission to say nothing when 90-year-old Cardinal Zen faces being thrown into a Chinese jail while certain abusers and protectors of abusers are able to escape the consequences of their actions. Likewise, why are these supposedly orthodox bishops keeping their mouths shut while the synodal process discusses tearing up church doctrine on the basis of a consultation with the faithful that, to take the example of England and Wales, involved only 0.8% of baptised Catholics and only 8% of practising Catholics. Some of the material being put out by the Vatican Synod office is barely recognisable as Christian, let alone Catholic. For example, a few days ago, that Vatican office tweeted out some paintings that it said were inspiring its discussions. Imagine a particularly cack-handed Stalinist socialist realist artist trying to copy the style of Jean-Michel Basquiat, the graffiti artist, and that'll give you some idea of what they look like. But it was the graffiti-style words that were so disturbing. One work of art listed what appeared to be bad words versus good words. And the bad words, or concepts, so far as I could make out, appeared to include liturgy, Catholic identity, abuse, scripture and exclusion, while the good words included gospel, 
LGBT plus identity, radical hospitality and deep care, whatever that is. You know, until now, I've tended to ignore those Catholic voices who suggested that some sort of new world religion is being created. And I still wouldn't go that far. But you do have to wonder, especially as the day after these ghastly daubs appeared, the Pope himself tweeted, and no, this is not from a parody account, the plant paradigm takes a different approach to earth and environment. Plants cooperate with all the surrounding environment. Even when they compete, they cooperate for the good of the ecosystem. Let's learn from the meekness of plants. To which I'm afraid I tweeted back, and some plants can even be smoked, which is the only explanation I can think of for this hideous drivel. The Pope's tweet was tagged time of creation. Creation of what, exactly? On the day that tweet appeared, Luke Coppen of The Pillar published a story which began, A Catholic diocese in the Netherlands has announced that 60% of its churches need to close in the next five years due to dwindling churchgoers, volunteers and income. Bishop Jan Hendricks unveiled the plans for the Diocese of Haarlem, Amsterdam at a meeting with around 90 parish administrators on September the 10th. The diocese, which dates back to 1559, covers the province of North Holland as well as the southern part of Flevoland province. It includes Amsterdam, the country's capital and most populous city. Diocesan authorities said that 99 out of the current 164 Catholic churches would have to close in five years. Of the remaining 65 churches, 37 could continue for five to ten years as support churches, leaving just 28 central churches considered viable in the long term. End quote. Now, I'm not about to try and blame the long-term collapse of Dutch Catholicism entirely on this pontificate, but I do think it's significant that the areas of worse decline, such as this, tend to be in those parts of Europe where liturgical experimentation and the adoption of secular jargon have reduced Catholic tradition to a rather feeble imitation of liberal Protestantism. Feeble and desperate. And the Pope's reaction is, well, to help the process along by locking the doors of churches where the old rite is attracting significant numbers of younger worshippers and by convening a synod on synodality, which has very clearly been hijacked by a faction consisting of the most embarrassing relics of boomer Catholicism. It's a recipe for the destruction of the Catholic Church, a process which has already begun and which only people of profound faith believe can be halted. And I'm not one of them.